Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Ken from Ferocious Dog. This is a long one, and I'll tell you why it's a long one. Because it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I want to thank, first of all, um, my mate Tony that um, introduced me uh, a while ago now to Ferocious Dog and has, has long been championing him. Um, what an incredible human Ken is. And uh, when he sort of said, that, you know, you should, you should reach out to Ken and get him on because I think you're going to have a good chat. You know, he's... His musical background and his political leanings are very much in in in, in tune with yours, and and he couldn't have been uh, more right. I, I had such a lovely chat. I've literally just turned the Zoom call off because after the episode, we chatted for another half hour, sort of banging away, putting the world to rights. But it was an absolute joy, and uh, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, a few other thank yous. Um, this podcast is part of Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces Network. And uh, so big love to Pip. Um, and obviously the um, the big love goes to uh, you listeners that have been supporting this podcast for over 500 episodes now. So huge thank yous um, all around for, for everybody that's, you know, carried on supporting this podcast over the years and, and through lockdown and uh, and you're still here and I'm still putting them out. And uh, and the listenership keeps growing. So um, I, we're all doing something right because it's, it's working. I also want to thank the team at Blue Murder Club Podcast, which is uh, a wonderful true crime podcast, and it's the team over there that produced this podcast. So if you like your true crime, uh, some of the biggest and weirdest and ghoulish kind of um, cases are all examined and and discussed on there. And uh, and you'll also recognise a few of the guests that they've had on because some of them have also been on this podcast. Uh, so uh, go check that out. Um I should also say as well that if it's your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, um, hello and welcome. Um, it's lovely to to have you listening. Um, I've been doing this podcast uh, four years and such. I think it's four years, nearly five, I think, maybe. And um, I've been really lucky to have had some incredible guests on um, over the years. And, uh, and I've had, you know... Wonderful. I'm just going to list a few for you. So um, I, I urge you to go and have a little look anyway. But um, I had um, Maxine Peak on that was somebody that um, I was desperate to, when I set the podcast up, I, I really, I had two names on that list. And one was Maxine Peak and one was Johnny Marr. Um, I've not yet had Johnny on. I've had Niall Marr. I've had his son on, but I've not had Johnny on yet. But um, 
Maxine Peake was was one of the most um, wonderful podcasts I've ever um, recorded, and I've never really mentioned that one so much. But, um, I always sort of go, "Yeah, I've had the Foo Fighters on. I've had you know Public Enemy and uh, Motley Crue and all of these big rock and roll stars and stuff." But um, I, I'd urge you to go and check out the Maxine Peake one, uh, and I think you know fans of a ferocious dog and uh and a, and a lot of what they're about very much aligns with with, with maxine's uh a, a approach to to, to to her politics and 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 to her life um and 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 yeah and also you know i've had some fantastic comedians on you know we we, we speak about oh, did we speak about it on the podcast i might even spoke about it after the podcast actually um but um, I've had your your James Acasters and Ed Gambles and Maisie Adam and I've had some some great comedians on as well. So go check them out. But um, yeah, just go and explore that back catalogue because if you like your your kind of older nineties indie alternative stuff, I've had the Wonder stuff on and um, gosh, EMF, Jesus Jones, uh, lots of sort of bands that that I grew up listening to and then into the the big indie sort of movement of the of the noughties you know i've been really lucky to have interviewed the killers and block party and interpol and oh god the list goes kaiser chiefs uh they're, they're all over there so go and have a good old rummage and uh and see what you can find um you're here and listening so by doing that you're supporting the podcast so thank you however um there's other ways that you can support this podcast um and one of them is uh, via our Patreon. And so that Patreon um, is kept at uh, $1 a month because, well, we're in a cost of living crisis, right? So I think whatever that works, that's 70-odd pence a month. And for that 70 pence, let me tell you what you get. And you can watch all the episodes over on there. I put the videos up of all these chats, so you can go and watch them. Um, I put up little playlists. I put up little radio shows. Um, and you get access to a back catalogue of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um, the aforementioned. So um, go and uh, check that out. And then what you also get is a free ticket each month uh, to come to our online live show, uh, which we do over Zoom. And it's lovely. We've created a really nice little family over there of uh, of, of listeners. And, and we just pick a little question, a music-based question, and, uh, and then we all turn up and we all recount our own little memories of it and pick a song for it. And, and it's really nice. It's not a you know a, a, an indie schmindy judgy thing it's it's just a really lovely hangout with um with kind people and we, we just have a little chat about records and uh and and that's all part of your your 70 pence a month so um yeah and you can find out about that at patreon if you just go over there um won't cost you anything you know just go over to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash off the beaten track and um and then what you do when you get over there is you'll see a little video of my stupid face and i'll tell you all about it and uh, so yeah head over there um and also we're on all the social media platforms so um if you can't afford the the 70 pence then um just give us a little like love share or a retweet on the socials that that stuff really helps and uh, and your one-stop shop for everything you need to know is off the beat and it's not beaten off the beat and track podcast.com right that's my ranting done let's get on to the good stuff please enjoy Today's episode of Off the Beaten Track with the delightful Ken, a ferocious dog. It's Off the Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Ken, how are you, mate? Yeah, all good, all good. 
Uh, just recharging my batteries after a full weekend of uh, Settle Down Fest, where we had lined uh, our own festival being settled all three nights. So, How was it? It was very, very good. Uh, absolutely amazing people, the Hellhounds anyway, you know, followers, and uh, lots of beer was drunk, and it's the, the oldest musical hall in, in the country, the Victoria Hall in Settle, and they're all uh, volunteers, so... Whenever ferocious dog turn up, they know that a lot of beer is going to be drunk, and they're the nicest people, so they, it keeps them going. So I always like to go back to Victoria Hall and settle there. That's a win-win for any venue, isn't it? Nice people yeah, and a lot of, and a lot of booze drunk. That's uh, who's going the team do? are amazing. The, oh, the team fantastic. are amazing. Fantastic. Well, Ken, I'm really um, excited that, that you've agreed to come on here today. Um, and I want to kick your playlist off and, and, and get rolling on, 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 on your journey. Um, but we always start the podcast with this question, which is, can you tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please? Well, I, I did pick Jump Around because it's quite an odd one. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, which ones do you pick? You know, there's seven questions. and But I always think of... Even though that's a sample from uh, uh, like a, a jazz song, it's Bob and Ill, Harlem Shuffle. Yeah, yeah. Soon as you hear that of of my age, coming from a background in eighties of break dancing, soon as you hear that, you just know that it's House of Pain jump around coming yeah. on and get to so get ready. You know, it's it's one of them things. It's yeah. a call to arms, isn't it? That intro. It is. It's it's unmistakable, and, and that's where I'll try. Or you know, racking my brain, try to think of that intro, that song intro, any song intro that you know exactly what you're going to get as soon as it starts. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And there's so many iconic ones, but for me, jump around. It's just you know, ass of pain. Soon, and like when I first heard it, when it first came out, it's like wow. You know, you see the video, and it just captures everything. But how that starts and sampling that piece of magical music just. Yeah just a perfect start to a song for me absolutely and and speaking as a as, as a alternative club dj uh, or any dj really in any club that record that should get out of jail card because if you are struggling to make people move you drop that oh. that intro you know it's just gonna go dropping the bomb you are absolutely and i think that's what was interesting about like what was happening in in hip hop, and and uh, do you mind me asking how old you are, Kim? Fifty-five. Right. So, so there's there's only a few years between us, and and growing up like you in the eighties, and, and being exposed to hip hop and such. I think when we got to that point in the nineties, where there was there was an album that that come out uh, to a, a soundtrack to a film called Judgment Night, uh, and and that was the first time that since. I think um, Run DMC and Aerosmith, we were seeing like rock bands like Faith No More, you know, releasing the, on this Judgment Night soundtrack. They were doing tracks with like the Booyah Tribe and then Onyx were doing tracks with um, all of these kind of rock acts, Biohazard and stuff like that were doing these kind of rock rap crossovers. And then I think in the sort of wake of that was when you got House of Pain and you got... Cypress yeah. um, uh, well, Hill. that's the one, of course. And, and obviously yeah. Rage. Like and yeah. and and it was a, a really interesting point because you know for me growing up in kind of like guitar and rock clubs, 
that was kind of the hip hop that was that was now being played. It was a real transition yeah. around that time of House of Pain, where all the hip hop was then merging. We were seeing House of Pain, and we were seeing Cypress Hill be playing rock festivals. I'm seeing, you know, yeah. and, and I think Rage had a lot to do with that as well. That, and, and I De- think definitely the Prodigy as well opened up genres to other people yeah. as well. And all happened around that time. I thought it was a really exciting time. I can remember coming out of from being hip hop and electro, being a breakdancer in the 80s, and that was my life. I lived that, and then so knowing about this new music, electro and hip hop, and you know anything that we could get from from the states, we were looking through any vinyls. You know, we had, had his own DJ. You know, he he was spinning out records for us whenever we go in competitions and things like that. You know, and that was a way of life for us. So after. Uh, Breakdancing was dying out, you know, towards you know the end of the you know the eighties, getting into the nineties, and then he was going on to like acid house parties and things like that, which I just didn't get at all. You know, breakdancing makes it was brand new and it was so hard to do. You had to be a breakdancer with acid house and happy house that were coming in then from DJs and stuff. You just danced to it. It weren't an art. You didn't have to train. But then, like when you got Beastie Boys coming out, you know, white lads playing and rapping style, but with electric guitars, and then you you get Run DMC, like you say, with Aerosmith, and it just moved it along. And then, like you say, Arsa Pain, jump around, it it moved, and then you got you know off the back of electro and and, and uh, hip hop. You then got your gangster out with NWA, yeah. You know, and, and it just—it it was brilliant to just see it move on and move on and move on. Then, whilst it went in strains of like uh, Happy House and Acid House and things like that. Ken, can I ask you, like, in regards to you know, I know there's very much a punk ethos about you, and and can you see the sort of correlation between because I, it's easy to say that punk is Pistols, Ramones, '77, you know, Clash, but. And and that is, of course. But when you sort of look at hip hop, you know, being made from whatever drum machines and old records being pushed together and growing from the streets, and then Acid House being, you know, a drum machine and these these producers making this noise and then taking these parties into fields and taking it away from, you know, to the point where they push through the Criminal Justice Act to to shut that shit down, you know, which is, can you see the sort of, yeah, definitely. The, the punk line that runs through all of that. Yeah, I mean, you, you can plot that punks and your you crusties and your newish. So if you moved on from your punks, you know, that were brought up, you know, and, and into that against the system, anything anti-establishment, uh, because of the way of rock and roll was, was emerging and you were getting more and more uh, defiant in music, and you know, because obviously, the it was very much run by the BBC back in the days. But then, you know, with like pirate radios and things like that, you starting to break free. Music was starting to break free, and punk rock did that. You know, with the, with the Clash, you could see that. And this is why I, I wrote uh, Punk Police. It's about when when you start. I can remember seeing people having rules on the uh, on MySpace back in the day about it, what. Is this this band? I think it were Offspring. Somebody says, uh, "Punk or not?" And there were people saying, "No way is that punk." And I was like, "Whoa, stop!" 
Yeah. When we start having rules in punk rock, <laughs> then we're all done. <laughs> if know, there's it, punk rock not, rules, that's not punk in itself, <laughs> is it? You just, you've just, we're flawed, right? The whole idea of punk rock is not to have any rules. Do what you want. And if you want to say that me running around just banging a, a biscuit tin is punk, there's no rules. Make it up as you go along. And that was the great idea. And then to see it move on, and these punks then, moving on, you know, into the 80s and then into the 90s, uh, you know, and, and you, you got to... Uh, you know, like the, the New Age Travellers and the Crusties, they only came from old punk rockers yeah. that moved on and had a, a chance of living outside the system. And then you saw when the rave scene, the next generation, the younger generation coming into the rave scene, and all these Crusties were moving into the rave scene, you know, from Acid House. And it was just because it was anti-established, it was underground. Absolutely. Same as punk, it was underground. And, and this is, you'll always get this, but, you know, stateside and uh, in England the, the, the you know mirrored where it'll move somewhere else in music because that is uh, the passion in British and American music to move it somewhere else and it's the same with punk you know how many different styles of punk is there you can't say oh and if you weren't playing punk in the 70s and it's not punk so what about the young bands now uh, that are doing it now they can't be called punk. Yeah. Of course they can. They just they've learned from the granddad's records. Yeah, you know, and they're playing punk now. You know, it's like Blink One Eight Two. That's not punk. Look, when they first started, it, they started as punk, listening to old punk songs, and you know that's how. And then they move it somewhere else, then somewhere else. And they get skater punk. Uh, you know, like we, we'll say folk punk. You can't be a folk, you can't be a punk band because you've got a banjo and, and a fiddle. Yes, you can. Who makes the rules? It's just bollocks, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, when when you see where folk punk came from, the Pogues, Shane McGowan. Yeah. The punk that moved it, because you're Irish, he grew up playing Irish music and being stood on the table, you know, to entertain his family as a kid, you know, and singing traditional Irish songs. Exactly the same as me. I grew up with my dad, you know, playing Irish songs and... All I had to do was learn how to play guitar. I hated folk music as a kid. I was a break dancer, for God's sake. I went to dub reggae before that and, and uh, two-tone, you know, before I saw for, for the first time the Dubliners, who me, that, that band that my dad loves, playing with Shane McGowan. But Shane McGowan used to be a punk. Yeah. So it opened up a can of worms for the punks then going into folk. And, and I'm like, wow. But they're all in mosh pits. Yeah. There's a massive mosh pit there for, for the Pogues. This has got legs, so all I had to do was learn how to play guitar. I'm still learning, let me say. I'm still <laughs> learning. <laughs> I'm still perfecting the art. I know all the Irish songs. Yeah. I'm perfecting the art of the guitar. So, And that really, you know, and that's where I get it from, the punk side. It, it was like going to folk festivals with my mum and dad, yeah. you know, as a kid. and like So me learning them, then giving it back, 100 mile an hour, but the same song. And then the, the, the you know the old folk uh, place saying, "Oh my God, I've never heard that song somewhere like that." I said, yeah. "No, it's ferocious dog style." And that's that was my aim, you know, to, to get all these really traditional songs and keep them going for the next generation. And that is exactly the parallel that I draw with any type of music. You pick it up and run in one direction with it, you know, and that was the you know where you picked it up from. We're probably going in another direction. Yeah, absolutely. But it keeps it keeps it going. So and no doubt somebody will listen to Ferocious Dog 
and get them songs and run in a different direction with Absolutely. it, you know. And that's that's what's exciting about music, and that's what's always you know it's always going to evolve it's always going to find different tangents and different routes and different identities it's, I, I think that's you know one of the most exciting things that you can you can get from creating music um i just wanted to sort of touch on something that you said and and the the enormity of that as well for just just on, on, a, on a personal thing of seeing my granddad having dubliners records and and yeah. then seeing top of the pops when i was like 13 14 and seeing the Irish Rover, and just thinking, exactly. What's same. this? What's this? <laughs> like, why is this in the charts? This is like my granddad's music, but it's really gnarly as well. And so you, you were there, same as me. Yeah. That. And it was just like, what's going on here? And and then obviously, you know, you, you then sort of learn, and then fairy tale drops, and then obviously the you know the Pogues are the Pogues, and yeah. but I, it was that was my introduction. You know, was seeing them on top of the pops with a load of old blokes with beards just you know, playing all of these folk instruments, you're thinking, what's going on? Like, exactly. and, and what an exciting thing to sort of be on top of the pops, which is, you know, at that point was the only place you could ever really see music. You could exactly. only see your bands on, on there on a Thursday night. And you've got them people that your granddad's into, this <laughs> lunatic fronting them. And it was like, <laughs> no and it was just like, what is this? Like, this is not yeah. Duran Duran. I know that. <laughs> With his, with his hands in his pockets, yeah. and uh, I think he had a whiskey or a pint of Guinness in other, just just stood with the attitude singing, yeah, with the Dubliners, yeah, the pose of the Dubliners. <laughs> that did not work, <laughs> and it worked brilliantly. Fantastic, absolutely. Right, I'm going to take you back, and uh, and I'm going to ask you, please, um, for track two, can you tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please? I played it this weekend. It's it's uh, it's had that much of a, uh, an effect on me. Uh, I can remember, and and it goes back to near with the same time as the early eighties, and it was Aisle O'Connor, "Will You" off of Breaking Glass. It stopped me in my tracks. It's one of them that I could still, same as I can still see, like you said, I can still see me stood there watching Top of Pops and watching the Pogues. That was like a roadrunner. You stop dead. You're thinking, "Wow, will you?" emotionally for me uh i could listen over and over you know how you you're upstairs and you've got your your old record player that we can put about five records on, and you, i put that one on, on repeat and we only had one uh, electric plug upstairs on landing so I'd, I'd lay on landing and i'd put that one on repeat you know and that's that that to me is and just lay there, just thinking about this story, what she's singing and making, conjuring images that she's putting the words in. And I can see these images of what she's trying to tell me, this story. And every everybody will have a different story of these two characters and what's happening. And, you know, but to me, just stuck in my head, I've still got this vision of awkwardness and, you know, China Cup and, and spilling the tea and things like that. And, you know, the, the very awkwardness of love, but they don't bring it up. Very, very powerful, especially for me as a young lad there. You know. uh, it just, it's stayed with me ever since. If I was to ask you to pinpoint the actual emotion that you got or still get from that song, what would the emotion be? It, it, it's about aw- awkwardness in love. Uh, you could, you could, the way that Hazel wrote and 
pr produced that kind of song. It, it, it was just perfect for me as, as a young kid, you know, that shouldn't know about that kind of love. And there she were telling that story, story kind of, you know, the, the way that I could see it like to people in the 30s or 40s, you know, not, not young, in the 30s or 40s that were awkward uh, in relationships, but didn't ask. And you can you can cut it with a knife that none of them there, there ask the question, but they don't. Yeah. And they never fall in love because the two type of people who, you know, dare not commit in case they get hurt. That, just to listen to it. I mean, I'm good friends with Hazel now. She'd I was going to uh, say, how, you know, working with her now, how, how was that all those years later, that, that kid on the landing listening to that record on loop to then working with her? Well, the first time I met Hazel, we... Uh, sub-headlined a, a festival at Wickerman, I think, up near Thirst, North Yorkshire. She headlined the main stage and we finished off on the second stage, headlining the second stage straight after it. And backstage, there was nobody as Will You came on. And I made sure I was stood backstage, not looking at it, so I could hear it perfect backstage, just stood there on my own. Big massive Moeekin stuck up, you know, <laughs> Liberty Bell spikes. Uh, and a little side door opened, side of stage, and where these steps were, and I was stood there. And Hazel came walking off when the saxophone instrumental came on, which I did not expect. I'd never met Hazel in my life. All right. So when that one, I wanted to be on my own, listening to it at the side of the stage, not really watching her sing, just so I could get that image what I'd always had. And for her to open this door and then come walking down these steps off the main stage, straight to me, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> pleased to meet you, Mrs. Hazel. Pleased to meet you. I, honestly, I, I'm in awe. And, and she was like, oh, you could see that she was meeting this punk rocker. With, yeah, stuck right up, never met me. And you know, she gave me up and said, oh, pleased to meet you. I had a bit of a chat and I said, yeah, told her the story. You don't know what this song means to me. All right. And I was well enough. There were tears in my eyes. That's the power of that song. It's the power of music. Yeah. So, you know, she went back on stage and, and finished it off. Never saw her again. But in lockdown, uh, one of her best friends growing up um, went into the music industry, uh, follows Frocious Dog. She's a good friend and she, she got us in touch. A lockdown happened, and so me and Hazel had loads of time doing like this, you know, Skyping each other, chatting, you know, families, because I think, yeah, she were in in, uh, in France on her own. Lockdown, couldn't get back over to here. She were in a cottage in, in France, couldn't travel back home. So, you know, she was like, isolated on her own over yeah. there. And I think we got each other through kind of thing, you know, and... You know, she said after he really helped her get through COVID on her own, constantly chatting to us and, and the family and look, you know, saying hello to dogs and things like that. And just a normal face. And then she started doing, like I was doing, sing-alongs to entertain people while we're all locked down. She asked if I'd uh, join her for Will You on a lockdown album, acoustic album. I was like, oh, um, gee, <laughs> you know, you don't, don't get no better than that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then straight after lockdown, we were doing our album, uh, the Hope album. So it were coming towards the end of lockdown, we started recording. And I says to her, you know, well, I did it on your album, so can you do it on our album? And we, so we looked at, you know, all the the things about copyrights and everything, and she says, yeah, it'd be amazing. So Ferocious Dog did a version of Will You. So for me, that is always on a Ferocious Dog album. And then we went and shot a, a video, uh, went down to near the end, 25s to one of uh, Hazel's good friends, spent a day there. Luckily, she's got some woodland at the back, and we shot this video just in one day. It was blistering red hot. And it was just great to spend time, you know, because you, you're coming out of lockdown and you could finally get together yeah. and meet people. It was just brilliant for, for all of us. Just it's like a weight lift off us. We did that video, and you know, you, you can still see it today. It, it was just, you know, she, she did Breaking Glass as an actress. Yeah. She's a natural. So it was just so easy to work with her to shoot a video. We you know, took our team down and does all our videos, and it was just brilliant. And for me, that was a perfect, I wouldn't say ending, you know, just part of my story about that song that's been with me from being a kid. And it's just a magical song. I played it this weekend because we, we did the old Hope album and I just did the acoustic version on my own and you can hear a pin drop when I start. By the end, everybody in that audience was singing that song because they're all of that yeah. uh, young lacos of a certain age youngsters and they all knew that song and it's just I think that touches a lot of people of our age if, if you were there when it came out you'd know that song it's like wow absolutely selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. 
Absolutely. I mean, that is a that's a beautiful, beautiful story to to go from that to then you know becoming friends and working with them is is, is incredible. And and to touch on breaking glass, I was I was talking to Tony, my friend, who, who introduced me to, to to you, who's a a, a big fan uh, of of a ferocious dog, and and I was chatting to him uh, at our club on on Friday, <clears throat> talking about in that point in the eighties there was films that were like almost like a rite of passage for for for, for, for I'll say lads but I, I, essentially lads I guess and and it was breaking glass it was quadrophenia yeah. there was these films that yeah. that everybody had to see and you have to watch them yeah they, they, they were like you know when you become a teenager you know you have to watch these films they're a rite of passage and, yeah. and I wonder if that still exists anymore I don't know and when when you read I've rewatched breaking glass and it, it was groundbreaking of the things she was doing for, for like new wave coming out of punk and going into new wave, which I can remember, you know, that, that era. And, you know, all that being robotics and going to this, what we take for granted now, but back in the 80s and 1980, coming out of the 70s to, to talk about robots and things like that and the way she dressed, absolutely groundbreaking yeah. for, for that, you know. And I think, you know, she was at Cannes uh, Music Festival. Yeah, she won all the accolades and all the trophies, things. Yeah. So, bless her. Fantastic. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, for track three, I'm going to ask you, can you tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please? It's definitely got to be the specials, Do Nothing. Oh. Out of, I mean... The specials, because everyone's a classic, classic, classic. And I, I've always liked the specials for where they were, and they just blasted onto the scene. I was Teddy Boy when Scar came out. I loved rock and roll, you know, when you know, Grease had come out and Happy Days was on the telly and all young 70s lads were all Teddy Boys again, listening to rock and roll. And, and then this new sound came out. Scar, absolutely different, you know, completely different way. And knowing, I didn't know much at the time of the political stance of Two-Town as just being a kid in 1979. But then, you know, as you grow older and you think, wow, you know, I, I learn more about politics and, you know, what the Two-Town label and everything about it we're trying to do especially back then you know when you have national front rallies and things like that so then you have uh, rock against racism and things like that which Hazel O'Connor was part of and things like that you see the two struggles back then you know in the, in the 70s and 80s coming in and it was just absolutely amazing and to listen to a song for me do nothing I don't know why that one song it just touched me that song, I, and and it, it's one. It's my favourite as well, Ken. It's, it's I could pick Ghost perfect. Town because it was bigger. To me, do nothing. Just yeah. touch me, because it, it weren't one of the best songs, you know, in in charts. But to me, do nothing was just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it just ticked all the boxes. That's another one that I would just put on on my forty-five. Just yeah. keep that one on constantly. I even had to sing it. I had to learn it because I look. I, I try not to learn songs that I love 
because you lose that magic. Yeah. But will you? Will never lose that, and do nothing will never lose that magic. It, it's you know it cut me in half. I've, I've got that magic still running through me from listening to them songs, and same with jumping around as yeah. well. You know, at it's, the same time. It's it's so important that you know to to to, to look at that two time movement and. I, I, I had Robin from UB40 on the podcast a couple of months ago as well. And okay, yeah. and, and to be, you know, in 1979, to have bands, you know, no, no, taking nothing away from Madness and Bad Manners and uh, uh, and the like, but, to you know, if we if we look at the specials and, and UB40, you know, the, the nature of what they were singing about, um, whether it be 1 in 10 or whether it be, you know, uh, Too Much Too Young, but also having black people and white people in the same band that wasn't happening yeah. that wasn't happening in many places no. and um, no. and and as you mentioned like you know around 79 80 the national front was having another huge resurgence and yeah. it was it was a troubling time and, and shout out you know madness as well writing songs like embarrassment and things like that you know that, that yeah. you know and i think you know a lot of these bands don't get as much credit as they should for for what they were doing at that point you know it was it was a it was a fucking terrible time in the uk and uh and to oh, stand definitely. up to stand up and sing and be you know be heard you know that 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 took some stones yeah and it, it is about breaking down the you know the, these racial barriers you know and the best friends on the state and and that's how I, I grew up you know in this this mining village where i live you know, my, my, my best friend, Gaz, you know, his, his parents come from Caribbean. He just talks wasa, same as us, you know, up here in the mining village, just brought up same as us. And I can remember, we, you know, uh, it, it, we were in the 80s, we went to Army Cadets and we got went on annual camp to Folkestone, dance air. Right, and we didn't really know much about that. Was the worst southern accent I've ever heard. <laughs> then. <laughs> I've practiced it, I've it. not bad for a northerner. And uh, and I can remember because I'm dark skinned and I've got jet black hair, but I'm not Asian. But I've always had that because I am a bit of sun and I'm really dark skinned and olive skin and, and jet black hair. And I can remember being shouted you know, racist, a gang of skinheads, chased me and Gaz. He was black. They thought I were Asian. They chased us all down uh, the front. We were all the kids. We, you know, all my kids. We'd just gone down for annual camp just to walk down and see from the south end. All right, sorry, Folkestone. And to get chased, you'd run for your life. So I've been there. I know what it's like. You think, what was that all about? And we're looking at each other. Yeah, we're riding. We're like, I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're, not, we're not used to that. You know, so these in inner cities that that were their life. You didn't go to that part of that city, and and that's what the specials and the selector and the beat were singing about. You know, and to see uh, on top of pops, integrated bands, blacks and whites, loving one type of music, Caribbean music. That's the best thing about it, and that's why I always um, I'm massive still into my scar and you know or even old fashioned scar and rock steady. And I can't stand that it got usurped and people think that, that skinhead music that started out as white lads uh, off of council estates dancing to black music with black friends. To me, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, you're living side by side, 
this no division and we're dancing to their music they brought it over and made us all better for dancing to their music yeah and, and they th- were just getting yeah and i think it's really important that you know when we use the word skinhead that there's there's definitely two types of skinheads Ooh. you know that, that that those are you know those original skinheads that 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 is entrenched in in black music, and yeah. and 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 at that kind of seventy nine, eighty eight, eighty one, eighty two, it kind of got the narrative of it changed a little bit, and you know there was there was new sort of groups, and 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 I, I guess the the oi movement was sort of thrown in a little bit Definitely. there, and, it, and 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 you know there was a, a right wing skinheads become you know a, 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 yeah. an awful thing that 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 that, that come out of you know the, the late 70s and early 80s but yeah I'm, I'm always sort of like to throw that in there because i always worry when people hear the word skinhead that it, they go straight to that and and there's there's different levels to this there's you know there's there's, there's a lot of people that are true skinheads that are you know exactly uh, that are, uh, uh, i think it's to us and i class myself now as a skinhead because because uh, i'm of a certain age and with my weekend that i had for years and years and years when I thought, well, at least now I could shake my head now because my spikes are getting further and further back. I'm losing a spike every minute. It was brilliant for me because then I thought, well, I can go back to being to, to my roots of being a skinhead. Right? So, grow my sideburns, get my mutton chops out, right? Get all my, uh, my, my shirts back out and, you know, and get me cherry reds back on i can love being a skinhead again and i can remember doing it live on stage uh we had line of festival and les carter who were, from, who were our guitarist from carter the unstoppable sex machine he he says and he was brought up in brixton and he says ken he says we're gonna have to be careful about that image i'm like what what do you mean les right to, to me being a skinhead is that you know the real roots, Jamaica, blacks and whites dancing together, loving each other. That is it. Bring their music over, mm. over to here. Change England forever. But it got usurped. And I, th- and I think it's up to us to shout it out. You know, the ones who are right into, into Scott and the ones who do shout it out. And I'm proud to say that I'm a skinhead because it, it is a taboo that you can't say... You didn't say I'm a skinhead. I got to rebellion. All them years I've been going to rebellion and played as a punk. And now that I can go back as a skinhead. That never happened at one time. I went to a punk festival and, and skins and punks together. And I, I laugh about it that we've grown up and the tolerances are, are there now. You yeah. know, punks and skins, you know, you'll you'll see old punk old punk rockers still there, young punk rockers still there, young skinheads there, yeah. proudly dressed like they used to. And I, I love it. You know, we've, we've played festival, punk festivals. We, uh, other week, Sham 69, The Exploited, uh, UK Subs. And and we're the only folk punk band there. And I'm on stage dressed as a skinhead. <laughs> yeah. And what I like to say is a real skinhead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm glad and we got that, that in because I think it's important that, that that's always... It is. We need, to, we need to own it. We need to take it back. From from then, who usurped it, and and you could see that, that it was done on purpose. Yeah, you know, to to, to use people of a certain look, and it, it's wrong. So it's up to, I think, the the British 
to, to take it back that it is is about you know multicultural society and and, and you know blacks and whites loving one type of music that true Jamaican music yeah scar and, and rock steady absolutely we um, shouldn't have to hide actually we shouldn't have to hide but we do yeah uh, yeah yeah right. absolutely growing up in Essex and and, and and Tilbury where I did like the that this the skinhead movement there uh, you know it was a very very right-wing terrifying group of people that uh that yeah it, it, any kind of attention from that gets repurposed and pushed back to what a true skin it is then yeah i'm, I'm all about yeah. that absolutely and I, I think the media had a lot to do with that as well of course i mean yeah. anything anything like that you know you, you mentioned acid ass earlier you mentioned the beastie boys earlier you know front yeah. front page of the tabloids like you know not letting these scumbags <laughs> into this country you know <laughs> what are they doing singing about porno mags knowing you think Fucking hell, really? And you know, uh, the, the, the filth and the fury. It's You look at yeah. it now, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> but at the time, you, you can't help, you know, as a young lad, I was, I say that, but I guess the Beasties and, and Licensed Steel was my punk in, in 1985 yeah. when I'm like 11 or whatever it was. And seeing that headline and hearing that there was this band in America that were like swearing, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, yeah. <laughs> but oh. It's one of those things, the, if they ban it, the more the youth will want to find it. Completely. And it just pushes it up. Absolutely. You know? I, I think, was it Frankie Goes to Hollywood when they, when they got banned and they won't play them? Everybody just wanted to see them. Mate, <laughs> just... I, I, I used to go to a working men's club with my dad. And they had relax on the jukebox. And because Radio yeah. 1 banned it, I used to go down to Working Men's Club, me dad, and <laughs> oh. just put it on repeat. And like That's a statement. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the thing was as well, I was there with all of these kind of ardent old Tilbury Dockers. And I'm just thinking this song is about just a couple of blokes that just want to relax. I had no idea of what they were singing about. <laughs> you know, I mean, all this, because we're of a certain age, and we, we, the things we're talking about, if we go back to to eighties, it was groundbreaking. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, you look at. I mean, you, you, if you go back to, I mean, we where I live, you know, and it's just surrounded by ex pit villages, just just mining villages, and exactly the same. You know, like the Dockers, they were all in the working men's clubs, and, and and they weren't very tolerant. Yeah, you know. And I can remember during the strike. If you've seen the, the film Pride, you mm-hmm. must everybody must go and see that. Yeah, and if and, you can get to that, that last happened. scene of Pride and not be crying your eyes out, you're dead exactly. inside. <laughs> well, I can remember that happening. And I was 16, just leaving school. My dad and my brother on strike. And they came down to our picket line. And even I was like, what? Right? Because that's how, if you've never been told about this, and the union members were saying, no, 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 listen, listen. Their fight is harder than our fight. They're standing here to back us. We need to back them. To give this a little bit of context for listeners that haven't seen Pride, um, I, 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 I think I get this right. That, um, that basically it was um, it was a it was a gay uh, community decided to come and and because they were being oppressed and and they were being brutalized by the police as well they decided to find solidarity with with the miners and they they, they came to a, a a mining town to offer their support which was as you i think you're about to get to yeah. you know it was problematic in in places and that's that's documented in the film but in mining villages and they got it spot on in the film because yeah. it was 
this prejudice. Yeah. You've got hardened working coal miners, <laughs> death written all over them. But I'm not standing on this picket line with them. Because that's how <laughs> it broke down, and that's what the 80s did. Yeah. It broke down so many barriers, you know, of intolerance. And that's how I look back on the 80s of everything that we've been talking about, you know, even the swearing and the music being groundbreaking. It, it's got a lot to answer for from, from 70s, late 70s to 80s getting through and then to what we've got now. You know, you get, yeah, you say, yeah kids that we sampling music, but we know where it first came yeah. from, yeah. you know, back in the day. But for, for the politics as well and for, for what they stood for and were willing to stand up because they said their fight against Thatcher, the same as the, the miners, and they were willing to come and stand there. That takes guts. Absolutely. And I yeah. take my hat after them. And I've, I've, I've had, you know, uh, interviews, and I always look back at that time when they come to our picket line, and I was still there, and I looked at it completely different. To you know, I take my hat after them. They must have been so scared. Yeah. Just Absolutely. to turn up, you know, and not knowing are they going to be accepted or not. And I tell you what, that takes on balls, and they were, and the, the film gets it perfect. Yeah, it's an incredible yeah. film, and, and and like Ken says, if you've not and it, seen, it, Pride, changed, it changed, you yeah. know, politics, you know, for the gay community after that, after Labour got in, you know, and you know, like now, what what we see now, the, the tolerances now, I claim back from from them doing that in the 84-85 strike. And, Broke down so many barriers. And around the 84-85, I know, you know, doing research, some of the artists that, that have been inspirational to you, I know that, that, that Billy Bragg was one of those, and uh, as an Essex boy, we're, we're fiercely proud yeah. of Billy. Um, tell me how um, growing up in a, uh, in a mining village shaped your political beliefs, because as much as the... Uh, what you spoke about in regards to Pride, I think around the mid eighties, you know, other people that that um, were, were openly sort of pushing gay rights was bands like Bronski Beat and stuff that I know yeah. were were integral in um, the Red Wedge movement that that, that Billy was yeah. a very big part of, as was Weller and and the Style Council. Yeah. Like, um, just, just tell me about um, how, how growing up in a in a mining village would have shaped you know your your political sort of beliefs. Well, I mean, I can remember Red Wedge, and I can remember um, Billy Bragg coming to uh, uh, the next village to, to do a show, and I was just in awe of his, you know, his politics, his accent, and the way that he delivered his passion for music and politics together. Uh, Paul Eaton, you know, from the Ars Martins, he... he he was coming up as well. He was putting show, free shows on for, for the miners. Paul Heaton, we had nothing. one of the most underrated vocalists ever. Oh, that guy's phenomenal. voice is off the scale and he never gets phenomenal. credited for being just, his range is unreal. So good. But he was constantly up here in knots. Uh, I've got a friend who, who you know, go and pick him up from all, bring him up, bring him down here and stuff like that. So we, we knew of, the help we were getting from people in the music industry at New Model Army. I think the only reason they signed is said if you yeah, if you donate so much to the miners fund we'll we'll sign. And that you know, that's what Justin Sullivan did. So we you know, up north we know we were getting help 
we could see it on the streets, you know, they were coming to help us. And me, 16, leaving school that summer, 84, and then joining me, my dad and my brother on picket lines in that summer, and it was red hot. So, you know, and, and as 16 year old, that's when you, you're learning about politics. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com In the world, if you're thrust into politics, right, and which I was, so uh, every night you'd be reading, you know, you'd be watching the news at 10 and the, the fake news and propaganda that were coming on and we'd been on that picket line and it didn't happen like that. And I, I questioned my dad and I said, Dad, but that didn't happen like that. And he said, that's propaganda, so. He says, the whole world knows it happened like that because that's the news telling them that. We know it didn't, but, you know, they'll call the miners for that. Same as they did in Aubrey, they, they cut and edited the, the, the news reel, you know, to make it look like the miners who started it. We know it weren't, you know, but... When you then into that, that made me be a socialist. So I, I, I grew up being a socialist. I've always said it would have been a lot easier because we were in a minority here in Knotts. Uh, it would have been easier for me, for my dad to gone back to work and, and been a scab and me to join UDM and not bothered about anybody else, not had no principles and no morals because that's really, you know, the, the way I saw it. And when I got to pit, I, I could being a chargeman and things like that and being a man of principle, I would always stand up for workers' rights and people's rights. If they're being, they come to me and say, Ken, I, you know, I, I got my time stopped. Is there anything that you can do? I said, leave it with me. I'll charge him. I'll phone manager. Say, well, the machine's not going unless he gets his money back, you know, stuff like that. I was willing, and it, whether he were in UDM or anywhere, my principles won't change. I, I'd still be there to fight for somebody who been you know uh, done wrong or something like that or yeah. I could help that is big through growing up at minor stride and the principles of my dad and my family and being in a minority I think because from 1400 people at, at Welbeck Colliery I think there were 76 stayed out till end <laughs> not many is it no. and then after when I had 30 years in coal industry and 
worked at the last coal mine. I got moved up to Kellingley because I stayed true to NUM. So that they thought, you know, the people I worked with at Welbeck were laughing that I'm a knots man going up to Yorkshire, Yorkshire, and they they'll just class me as a scab like them. That were even said to me, joking, ah, it'd be different when you get up to Kellingley. You'll just be a scab like us. And I'd say, no, I'll never be a scab like you. I can find my corner. And when I went up to there, you know, and they found out, you know, why <laughs> there were only three of us got sent up to there to start with, out of a, a full pit that went to uh, down south to Dormill and Thorsby to other, you know, UDM pits. There were only three got sent up to an NUM pit because we stayed true to NUM. And we could find our corner. And then I've had there, I'd say, friends and brothers for life at Kellingley Collier, where I finished my mining career. But that's because I brought up with them socialist values. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't pick them. Yeah. It just happened the way that I saw the world and politics. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, for, for want of a kind of more obvious description, you was you know on the front line facing them politics you know you know so you, you can't escape that and yeah that, that, that's so, so interesting ken um i'm gonna move on to the next track um and i'm gonna ask you to tell me the first song or the first record you remember buying please mate right <laughs> I, I was lucky that because uh, I, I never really got pocket money we never really had much money when we were younger and uh, I got a paper round a paper shop used to sell 45s so when I got paid I'd always treat myself to a 45 and the first one I got were Atomic by Blondie oh mate what a <laughs> because it was in charts then yeah and I mean and, yeah go on sorry sorry just I like because you'd hear it on radio or top of pops and it was there in shop and I'm like oh Wow. And, you know, these were probably all seconds. I don't know. I don't think yeah. they were brand new. We were just in a box in a, in a paper shop. And I'd, I'd sift through to see what I like. And Atomic was there. I'm like, wow, I've got to have that. Yeah. I think it was about 50p, if that, 25p. <laughs> and the joy of being a young lad and, and seeing Debbie Harry on top of the pops. I mean, that's a, that's a life changer as well. And, I mean... Debbie Harry was 78 last week and still and, doing it. She's just done Isle of Wight and Glastonbury. Bossed it. Like, Bless her. I'm, I'm not sure there's a cooler woman on this planet than Debbie Harry. She's just, just everything about us, just so cool. And uh, oh my God, an Atomic is just an absolute peach of a record. Isn't it? Yeah, another one just blew me away as a kid. I can remember junior school listening to that and stuff like that. And she was another breath of fresh air that come onto music scene. You know, going from that punk to new wave style, yeah. And she was brilliant. You yeah. know, it why it just the, the the time just moved uh, to punk into new wave. You know, same as Hazel Connor and like Blondie. These were iconic, yeah. And biggest, especially being women in uh, a male dominated yeah. arena, you know, music industry. So to see to see them as well as that two that I picked out, you know, Hazel Connor and uh, Debbie Harry and yeah. Blondie. Brilliant. Absolutely, and you, oh, yeah, you remember it. You so talk well. hip hop, and you talk, you know, electro and stuff. And I, I think Rapture was the first rap record to actually hit the charts. So you know, just groundbreaking, exactly. you know. And 
what she did for that, doing that, you know, people don't realise that she was groundbreaking then. So when it was just coming on the streets of, of New York and to, to say, what is this music that's yeah. so underground, you know, and for her then to go to these clubs to, to see, you know, it first hand and say, I want to try and put some of that in my song. Absolutely. Gotcha. You know, it's an air to even sing it and try it. Yeah. Unheard of, yeah. you know. Brilliant, absolutely groundbreaking. So, yeah. Love it. Great memories that, that um, a lot of people don't know. Ken, let's go clubbing. Track five. <laughs> the song that soundtracked your years clubbing. You didn't expect this one, did you? I didn't. Go on. Planet Rock, Africa Bombard and the Soul Sonic Fox. Oh, what a tune. <laughs> so we talk about hip-hop and electro. They're the fathers. Africa Bombard, he started it all off. You know, when I was teaching it a few years, even at my right, right age, um, I was going into our local comprehensive teaching dance, break dance, street dance, because I could still do it. Love <laughs> uh, it. I don't I think I'd struggle doing it now at my age. But yeah, I, and it, it was great. So like children that were going from junior school to the comprehensive, they were going up uh, you know, to the school to get, an induction to the school, but instead of going into classes, they go for like a bit of music, a bit of art, and some dance. Well, I'm an artist, a musician, and I thought they just wanted me to teach all three as an artist, musician, and a street dancer. Because I've always, you know, around these parts, everyone knew that I was a break dancer. So I said, you know, so he got me for all three. So, no, oh, no, no. No, we got you for music. I said, why? I said, well, I got street dance and break dance. I thought you wanted me to teach that and all. I said, no, we haven't got anybody for that. I said, could you do that? I said, yeah, of course I can. So I ended up doing street dance. And oh, I tell you, it was brilliant. <laughs> it's going to start with, and I've got to sample all my old sounds from, from 82, 83. All them sounds, the electro stuff that were coming out, you know, from from America. I got all that stuff, made a CD to teach them, you know, all different styles, but an history uh, tuition. And Planet Rock was on there to see these kids who, they're from all different schools around this area, going to one big school. They've all got different uniforms on. They don't know each other. I say, right, form a circle, everybody hold hands. No, these kids aren't going to all dance, right? So I say, right, we've got to all dance, right? So you look at the person next to you, you've got to all dance for it to work. Because we want to see the electricity go all the way around. There's 30 kids in this room. Got to see the electricity. And all you've got to do is lift your arm up. It's called the Mexican wave. But back in our day, it was electric wave. So I want to see it go all the way around the class. And it's to start with, they're all a bit... You can see them like just holding the, you know, the, the sleeve. <laughs> you know, I'm not touching a girl. All this stuff, you know. Come the end of the class, they're all bright red faced, sweating, chucking themselves all over these mats, break dancing. Because I split them into into groups. Honestly, they could not get enough. Talk about breaking down barriers of people you don't know. Yeah. And then yeah. getting on as a, a crew and a posse. Oh, you're like, this is this is just kids at their best. I say so. Next week, 
you go on and practice in the mirror, I want to see, I want to see robotics, I want to see this, I want to see that, and I want to see, because I'll get a, they'd all have a balloon, yeah. kids, and I'd just get a balloon and make it look like it was floating, you push your hand back down, I say, when you get to parties, this is your party trick, and get a balloon and put it back up in the air, push it back down, make it look like it's lifting your hand up, right? They loved it. They it hilarious to watch them all doing it. Oh, I right. love it. Just to, to plant that seed of hip hop, and then why? Yeah. Two two gangs, rival gangs. One dressed in red, one dressed in blue. Well, they weren't fighting each other and stabbing each other on the streets. They had a DJ and they dance for it, and the best dancers won. Yeah. Africa Bombarda started that because there were too many teenagers dying on the streets at Bronx yeah. and you you read the stories and you think wow for somebody to, to do that to stop the gangs stop them killing each other and start yeah. dancing for it and then the from that the history of music that has gone off on a tangent through electro and hip hop you think wow what a culture still to this day even absolutely. graffiti absolutely well you look at everything. you look at like hip hop now it's the biggest selling music in the world Oh, uh, definitely. You know, and, oh, and, wow. and and even looking through the nineties, you know, you, you mentioned NWA, but you know, your Biggie Smalls and your Tupacs, biggest selling artists yeah. of like, you know, the, 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 the decades. It's you know, it's, crazy. And 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 that and, and it was the first as well in in the eighties to to get hold of anything because it was so American and it seemed, yeah. you know, apart from the off chance you might see. Houdini or something on top of the pops or Melly Mel or, or, or Bambara, you know, you wasn't, you couldn't get this stuff. And I, I remember yeah. I've said before and here when someone mentioned hip hop, like, and, and you mentioned graffiti there, there was like one copy of the book Subway Art in our, in our local library. And it was like pre-booked for like months. And you go down there every yeah. week just to see, because none of us could afford <laughs> to go and buy Subway Art. And so yeah. we'd just go down the library and then someone would just, there'd always be some sort of spoiled kid at school that had a copy and there'd be like 30 of us all looking over his shoulder just to see graffiti because exactly this is pre-internet, obviously. So yeah. you yeah. couldn't see it. You couldn't hear it. You just grab yeah. any little bit that you could. It was it was such an exciting time. And, uh, yeah. and even going down to, to your local uh, record shops to get American imports, yeah. we could not get near them. Yeah. They were, they were just loads and loads because we we were lucky here living near Mansfield that 20 mile away we go to Nottingham jump on a bus get to Nottingham and Rock City uh, was like a mecca for break dancers so the Rock City crew were there brilliant break dancers same, same in Mansfield brilliant break dancers and that and they get crews coming from all over England to go to Rock City every Saturday afternoon I think they pay a quid and you got there all afternoon, and it was just full of breakdancers and crews. Everybody descended onto to Nottingham. You know, and in fact, a documentary's come out. Um, Claude Knight did it from Nottingham, uh, NG83. Uh, oh, right. really? Yeah, look, in fact, he's on Facebook and all, NG83. And they still get together at Rock City and get the old veterans in, and, you know, they look. They're dancing Danny and all, all these people, and all you know, from Rock City crew yeah. and uh, Rockathons, and all these names, you know, Do you know what? All, all these old. It's, it's so weird. It's so it weird is. you say this because the, the, the club that, that, that I work at, the Pink Toothbrush, is this, it's, it's kind of 
bit of a sort of legendary club now. It's, it's, you know, it's been going 40 years next year. But around, I think it would have been about 2000, we we booked Bambata. And Bambata came and, uh, and, 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 and done a show. And he bought over like, one of these lads that was with him was was probably I don't know maybe sort of thirty five, and that whole venue was full of the kids that were like five years older than me at school that were the b boys that that would have the lino that would be like ripping head spins and back spins and like yeah absolutely yeah, that was, that was. and and they were all there and they were all like in their forties now and yeah. and Bambara's right hand man jumped off the stage onto the dance floor. And the dance floor opened up and he started like just dancing. And yeah. seeing some of these old boys that I went to school with just going, right, fuck this, I'm having this. And like, and literally they had, they had about two minutes tops in them. <laughs> like, but that two yeah, minutes, yeah. they could still do it. And there was a little burn going on. It was so exciting. And it was like, and I think that's just because, again, it was like, this is this is the guy that kind of started it. This is where it all, yeah. you know, opened up for us. It was it was Planet Rock and, and, and Melly Mel, maybe yeah. White Lines as well. They were the, 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 the tunes, yeah. weren't they? It was like, wow. Oh, definitely. Like... I can remember they, they they had a show. So they were on tour in the UK and they were playing Rock City. So, of course, it was it sold out. And I can remember being right next to Sandesk at, at Rock City, right? And honestly, you were crushed. And then Planet Rock came on. The whole place was bouncing, and where Sandesk is at Rock City, you, you're on the underneath the the up above, and that was bouncing as well. You could see that moving. Everybody, even upstairs, were bouncing, and I'm, from that day, that was the first time I'd been to a a live show to watch anybody uh, like that, and because I was uh, sixteen, yeah, uh, to watch that. And 15, 16. And just to watch that the first time, going to a show, you know, I'd never been to watch bands before that. Yeah, I could never afford to. That one, I had to be there to, to watch Africa Bombarda and Soul Sonic Force. Blew me away. That atmosphere, everybody in unison just bouncing to Planet Rock, such an iconic sound. And I'm like, honestly, I could still see myself there just looking around at the crowd with my mouth open going, what am I witnessing here? And Amazing. Yeah, it's just standing up on, on the like, whoa, this is magical. This oh, is so amazing. special. And that that will never leave me. That Africa on Bark and Soul Sonic Force doing that live in Rock City. And I've played there. We've sold Rock City out many times as, you know, ferocious dog. Uh, first and probably only, I think, uh, Band, unsigned band to, to sell Rock City out. Incredible. It's our local, you know, to us, it, it, it's, it's home, Rock yeah. City, for, yeah. for us, a brocious dog. But, uh, yeah, you know, so that was a proud moment, you know, with all these bands I've seen at Rock City, but the one who started it was Africa Bombard and the Soul Sonic Force. Perfect. I, I put that with more people, you know, people ask me questions about songs and things like that. And like, oh, what, what was the first show you ever went to? And I'll say, Africa Bombard and someone will go, who? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. People don't realise what they started off. Absolutely. You know, brilliant. So, yeah. For track six, Ken, I'm going to ask you for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's hard, like, for, for, for Norris. I could have gone for Jake Bug. Uh, Sleaford Mods, you know, brilliant. Oh, like, um, what a man. But for me, it's a local punk band. And this is one that I would stick up for. And he's our guitarist. He left years ago uh, after our first album because he, want, he wanted to be his own front man. He was our guitarist. He was only a young, young lad. He, he joined because he was drummer, drummer's best mate. And we, we needed an electric guitarist. He was a young punk, a young, young school kid at the time. And uh, he joined Ferocious Dog and transformed Ferocious Dog from a folk band to a folk punk band. And he had his own band called The Artlines, Young Kids Punk Band. I loved them. Yeah, they had all energy, modern punk band, loved them. And he's just rejoined Ferocious Dog. He still has The Artlines, but one song that he wrote, you know, and, and that, The Streets of England, I love how it starts. It's like with acoustic guitar and then even everything about it, the hooks, you know, the chorus and everything and the angst, everything about this young lad, this young band being a punk band. And that's who I was sticking up for when they're saying, oh, if they weren't out in the uh, 70s, they're not a proper punk band. Yeah. And I thought, well, what about Kyle? I were at school, we as mum and dad. Yeah. You see this next generation coming up and being a punk, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, you can't be a punk because you missed it. No, yeah. of course he can. He's been listening to his dad's or his granddad's records. Yeah. And he wants to carry that punk on, but in his own, you know, style. Modern punk, you know, like you see idols come out there and, you know, these, these bands that are still doing it, you well, know. you mentioned Sleaford Mods. I mean, that's punk as fuck. Like, of course it is. One guy yeah. with, a, with, with, with a laptop on a crate... <laughs> And like, and <laughs> just this, and just this middle-aged guy just spitting anger at people. It's it's as Whoa. punk as it gets. <laughs> it's pure punk, a style of punk. Yeah, you know, Sleaford Mods in itself. You know, even the name. You know, it, it conjures up. And they're not from Sleaford; they're from Nottingham. <laughs> but you know, to, to say Sleaford Mods, it sounds mint. Yeah. <laughs> So good. You know, it's just brilliant. And we've seen them. Because we had a dispute with them because they said that uh, they were first band to sell out Rock City as an unsigned band. I mean, we didn't say it. Rock City said it. And uh, I can remember them uh, slating us, saying it were these pretenders. They, you know, because we, we, you know, we were nobodies. We'd, we'd come from nowhere, you know, and then we just happened to get to Rock City, working his way up, you know. Uh, over years and then got the chance to rock city and we sold it out on the day and so you know Anton and then from the from rock city the hp and they said your first unsigned band ever to sell it out so we were like, quite proud of it and then sleeping mod say these pretenders you know we were first unsigned <laughs> band but they weren't they were signed to an indie label yeah right we weren't signed to anybody we didn't have any label we were just, we were just standalone underground because i swore as a punk rocker i'm never going to assigned to anybody yeah. and because i didn't want to lose i didn't want nobody telling me can yeah you can you turn your politics down no that's ferocious dog i sing political songs i've been married you know for th 33 years i'm i don't sing love songs yeah you know i haven't had a broken heart i was still in love with my wife yeah I sing political songs i've still got a lot to say 
that's going wrong in society that I see. Yeah. That's why, I, you know, all my songs are about politics yeah. or ancient politics, you know, like uprisings that have been quelled and, you know, the, they met sticky ends and yeah. establishment all fit up and things like that, like Pentridge rising. So I'll go over history and just tell this generation about the things that went off. Yeah. Uh, we, we struggle, you know, where working class struggles come from, you know, because that's how I see saying as, you know, working class struggle from miners' strike and yeah. that. So, you know, it was a protest singer kind of thing. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, that's why I said I'd never sign. Yeah. But, and there is a but, and we did sign. Well, I didn't. I didn't get a choice, but Dan, Dan, <laughs> Dan did. And he says, you don't have to sign, so I've already signed for you. But I, we got to a point where we were the biggest, probably underground band going the following. And I remember we were playing Beautiful Days, and somebody had come down and wanted to chat with us backstage at main stage one afternoon, wanted to sign us. And he says, I look round here, Skunk and Ansi headlines, amazing band. Skunk and Anzi headline, he says, but every other T-shirt I see at this festival, at Beautiful Days, is a Ferocious Dog T-shirt. He says, you're not even headlining. I said, yeah, I know. Good, isn't it? He <laughs> said, no. No. He says, he says, your fan base is already there. He said, but we need to move it on. Yeah. And in in end, I owed it to rest of band to say, yeah, that's right, we couldn't get no further. You know, like even the hypocrisy of playing the John Peel stage at Glastonbury, you had to be a signed band. I mean, the very, band. the very ethics of that's weird. You were wrong. <laughs> you know, and so you can't play there unless you're a signed band. You know, and, and that outroars my thing, like take on the music industry. But then you realise, you know, it's not, it's not a level playing field, so yeah. you can't. You know, it's like they're not going to let you win that one. But it came as a compromise, and who we did sign to, Graphite Records, didn't want to change a thing. That's why I love Graphite Records yeah. uh, up in Bradford at Northern Music. They said, we don't want to change anything. I didn't want somebody coming in and saying, you've got to lose your Moeke and Ken, you can't sing about that, you can't say that, you've got to do this beats per minute. That's not ferocious, dog. Yeah. And that's why we did sign to, to Graphite Records, because yeah. they didn't want to change a thing. And that is really, I says, go on, then I can work with that. If that's that's what you're sticking to, I'll work with that. And that's why we get on so well now with, with Graphite Records. It's brilliant. Fantastic. Well, we've spoken about um, some fantastic records that, uh, that I, I imagine a lot of the listeners of this show would, have, would definitely have had a few of them for sure. Um, but for this last track, this is when you get to be uh, a tastemaker or what the kids call influencer nowadays. Um and I'm going to ask you to tell me a track that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please, Ken. Well, this last one, um, that you, you try and pick one that probably nobody's heard, and it's uh, a band called Mad Dog McCree. And Mike's voice singing this song, Beeswing, which is a, a copy. And, but his rendition of Beeswing just blows me away. Every time, and he's a good friend, Mike. I mean, I, I grew up with Ferocious Dog, right? Loving Mad Dog McCree, right? And they're really still good friends. I love Mad, you know, their, their style of uh, uh, folk music is, is amazing. They're so, so good musicians to listen to them. 
But when I heard this song, he, he played it. We came to Dogfest, and he he knew my love of this song, and he dedicated it to me live. And, and I was stood outside on stage, and yes, there were, there was tears. Definitely was. This is an old punk rocker, you know, with tears in his eyes. Listen, and that's the power of music. What that yeah. this song, uh, I just love it to hear him sing. Uh, the old band's amazing, you know, and compliment. But Mike's voice on this song is just phenomenal. You know, his Irish voice, just brilliant. Yeah, so oh, Madonna Creed, Bees Wing, such yeah. a beautiful song. Well, can we make it easy for people to, to, to go and check that out and all the other tracks that um, you, we've spoken about today because we put together a little playlist uh, on Spotify for people to head over to and they can listen to uh, all of those tracks and obviously... Uh, you, you, your own music as well, um, Ken. In we go. Let's, let's let's pull it back to Ferocious Dog now, as as we start to wrap. And and what's happening? What's happening for the rest of the year? Where can where can people see you? Uh, what's going on? Honestly, it is going absolutely mad. So, just saying with Graphite Records. So, as of today. Our drummer yesterday was setting up his drums to start tracking the new album, which will be coming out uh, next year. So we have got a really tight schedule. So we've been writing songs. We had something like, because <laughs> the album was on, then it was off, then it was on, then are we doing one, aren't we? And then we said, yeah, we're doing one. So we, we had something like five weeks where we had to come together have rehearsals, get some songs together, then I'd take them away and write lyrics to them. Uh, we've got about 14 songs that we're recording. And in the meantime of doing this, we've, we've still been playing festivals and touring. And uh, it's just been absolutely flat out. We've just come from three days uh, at, at Settle Down Fest, which we headlined three different albums every night. So we had to get into rehearsals to learn because some of the band members have never played these songs oh, from course. our back catalogue, from the Fake News and Propaganda album, the Red album, and then the Hope album. So we, as well as writing uh, new songs for album, then we were in rehearsal saying, today we're just doing the Fake News and Propaganda album, we've got to learn them songs. So we have just been flat out this year, and knowing that an album now is going to start being recorded as of now, um it'll get even busier. So, you know, people who know we, when we've got a short window to get this album done probably for September to get it all recorded. Then you send it for mixed masses, all the artwork and everything that goes into to doing a, an album. We are not, and all the t time we were playing and uh, still touring. So it's flat out for Ferocious Dog, but next year it'll get even worse for touring the new album. Fantastic. And if people want to keep up the speed with all of this chaos, um, where's the best place to to to, to see where it's uh, where it's all happening, Ken? Well, uh, all all our uh, social media outlets. But uh, if they want to see us online, or you know Spotify, if they want to listen, just shout shout up the you know, the uh, things, and you know they can access all our music to listen to on Spotify, and uh, you know all on the, the, if they've got the Alexas and stuff. Like that. If not, just come to our website and buy the albums or on YouTube and come and see us on Facebook and things like that and Instagram, you know. And the one thing about uh, Ferocious Dog, and we've just had an amazing festival and, and we don't have fans. You know, people say, oh, have you got a message for your fans? 
say, yeah, yeah, we don't have fans. The family, because we know them. You know, there's not us and them. It's one big happy family. And like, I love it when um, you'll, you'll get uh, a woman saying, oh, I'd love, I'd love to come to watch Ferocious Dog, but I'm on my own. And people just go, poof, 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 inbox, inbox, inbox. You can come, you can stay with us. You can do where you get getting off the train. We'll make sure that you get back to your, to your hotel. And this people just so much want to look out for each other. And that that is testimony to the hellhounds who follow Ferocious Dog. You know, the ethics, like, you know, you set something up that is special. And that's what we witness every time we you know, with Ferocious Dog. You know, the people who follow you. Uh, they're probably a certain age and all the kids have grown up and they can go out reliving their days in 80s and 90s you know when they used to go out raving or going to watch bands you know and you know now they can do it again they've got they've got money to do it and it's just brilliant see like I always ask for a, a food drop you know and the amount of food that the airlines do bring you know to say you know next time we'll wherever we're playing, say if we're Lincoln or Manchester or anywhere, I'll get in touch with a local food bank. And it's not a PR stunt. Our PR manager, I remember a few years ago, didn't even know we did it. And she, she got on to me and gave me, gave me a right ticking off because our company never told me, Ken. I thought, I didn't think I had to. Mm. I don't, it's not a PR stunt. You're a PR manager, it's not a PR stunt. So it's just something that, you know, I, me and Karen did years ago. After losing our son, we just started helping people on streets of Nottingham yeah. and Mansfield. So once you, you've started doing that and the people who follow Ferocious Dog know the story and understand it's not a PR stunt, and you say, if you come into the show, we just if you bring a tin of beans or you know, something or some toiletries, but they don't, they bring bags full. And it all goes you know, to, to local food banks in that area that wouldn't have had it if Ferocious Dog or Ken wouldn't have said, if you're coming... We're doing a ferocious food drop. Can you bring something for food bank? That's amazing, mate. Absolutely amazing. That's the kind of people that, that follow ferocious dogs. So it's one big happy family. Oh, well, I, I can absolutely tell you you've uh, that, that family's going to get bigger uh, when this podcast comes out because this has been uh, an absolute joy, mate. And, uh, ah, and I've enjoyed it. Mate, I can't. a trip down memory lane for me. I know, <laughs> I know. Who'd have thought it? You was a break dancer. Um, <laughs> um, Ken, I'm going to press stop, but don't go anywhere. Uh, cheers, Anstu. Thanks, mate. There you go. Oh, what a wonderful human being. What a lovely chat. Um, such an interesting guy. Um, as mentioned at the beginning, um, we spoke for, for, for much longer afterwards as well, just putting the world to rights. And, and it's really nice when you... You meet someone that you've already been told is a, is a, is a really lovely person and you meet them and, and they just absolutely meet your expectations and, and you get to talk you get to talk breakdancing, you get to talk acid ass, you get to talk about some incredible records uh, and to hear people that, you know, that for their emotional track, you know, you know seeing Hazel O'Connor, you know, and then end up working with her all those years later, it's just fantastic. I love hearing stuff like that. And uh, and that's what happens when when you're a good person, you know these these things kind of you know happen for a reason. Um, right, okay. As mentioned at the beginning, everything you need to know about this podcast is available over at the website, which is off the beat and track com. So if you want to go and support the podcast um, over on the Patreon, you can do it over there. Uh, alternatively, um, 
on that website there's links to all the social media uh, so just go and give us a follow um, or why not just go old school and just nudge your mate and tell him about this lispy old guy from Essex that chats to really lovely people about records and their lives and it's called Off The Beaten Track you should check it out so go and do that that'd be great anyway I'm back next time and in the meantime just be nice to each other and, uh, and thanks again for listening love you bye bye <laughs>